Welcome to the Compelling Words Podcast. The Word of God is meant to move us. It's meant to call us to action. Listen in as Kevin Purdy teaches and presents a genuine and compelling message from the Word of God. When I was a kid growing up, um, our family had a, for a little while, we had a pop-up camper. And, and I can remember the excitement about when we had a weekend camping trip planned. I remember the excitement and the anticipation of going off camping. And uh, I remember campfires and roasting hot dogs and making s'mores. And I also remember that most of the campgrounds that we went to, well, they had a, they had a swimming pool, they had a recreation room, and they had a camp store. We could ride our bikes to the rec room and we could play the arcade games. That was back when you had the quarters and you put them in the machine and, you know, you played the arcade games. I can remember that. I remember, you know, you could go to the store, buy an ice cream. You could go to the pool, go swimming. And at least, at least in my memories, that stuff was always at the center spot of the campground. The campground was built with those buildings right in the middle, the pool, the rec room, the camp store, and then all of the campsites circled around it. Well, back in the days of the Exodus, we've been talking about the Exodus for the last few weeks. Back in those days of the Exodus, the ancient Israelites, they weren't on a camping trip just for fun. They were on a rugged journey being led by God. They were being led from slavery in Egypt and into the freedom of the promised land. God had rescued them, God had provided for them, and God had protected them. At Mount Sinai, we talked about God made a covenant with them, a covenant that was sealed with Blood. He gave them instructions, he gave them commands, he gave them a set of laws that they were meant to live by. And God, in those instructions, gave them very specific plans to build a very special place right in the middle of their camp. And it wasn't a swimming pool, It wasn't a rec room with arcade games. It wasn't a camp store selling snacks. Right in the middle of their camp, he told them to build a tabernacle. We read it in Exodus 25, verse 8. It says, Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. There are two words used in that verse, sanctuary and tabernacle. If you remember, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. It wasn't written in King James. It was written in Hebrew. King James is an early English translation. But if you want the authentic original Bible, you go back to the Hebrew language in the Old Testament. It was written in Hebrew, and in that original Hebrew Sanctuary means a sacred place. It means a place set apart. And the word tabernacle means a place to settle down, a place to abide, a dwelling place. 
So God is telling them to make a special sacred place that he will abide in. A special sacred place that he will dwell in. God was going to settle down and abide right in the middle of their camp. God had made a covenant to be with them, to lead them, and now God was making his presence very real. Kind of like God was saying, I said I was going to be with you. Well, get ready because I'm moving in. What would you do if God said, I'm moving in with you today? <laughs> Open the doors. Would you, would you want to get things ready? Would, would you want to get things just right? I mean, you're not just going to give them the couch and a sleeping bag, are you? I mean... You're probably going to want to give him the best that you can. I mean, he gets the best room. He gets the best bathroom. I'm going to stock up the fridge and stock up the pantry. I'm probably going to give him something better than PB&J and mac and cheese. Although that's pretty good. (laughs) I wonder what God would want to eat. Would he want fish or lamb? That's kind of what I guess, but I don't know. God didn't leave them guessing on how to prepare, though. Exodus chapter 25 to 40 is all about how to build this tabernacle, how to set up this dwelling place. And there is a ton of details. There's a lot of details. If you read back through those chapters, there is so much details about how to build up this tabernacle. There's details about the materials. There's details about the process, about the furnishings. There's instructions about how it's going to be used and about how it's going to be transported. Because remember, they were on a journey. They were not settled where they were going to live at yet. So this tabernacle was elaborate, but it was simple. It was functional. It was portable. And it was filled with all of this symbolism And all of this significance, and there's much, much more symbolism and significance that I could even begin to talk about today. But I do want to highlight where this tabernacle was located. Do you you think it's a coincidence, or do you think it's just convenient that God said, put it right in the middle of camp? No, it definitely wasn't. It definitely wasn't. It was, meant, it was meant to be in the middle of the camp to remind them and to remind us where our life should be centered. At the very center of all of our lives should be the presence of God. Just like in their camp, that's where God was in the tabernacle. In our lives, God should be at the very center for all of us. All of our thoughts, all of our decisions, all of our priorities, all of our hopes, and all of our dreams, it all revolves around a central focus. Are we living for our own satisfaction, or are we living to please the Lord? Are we living in pursuit of our own desires, or are we moving closer and closer to the Lord, growing in faith? becoming more and more like Christ in our attitudes and in our actions. 
Is the Lord, is the Lord at the very center of our lives? Because if he is, if the Lord is at the center of our lives, it should be evident. It should be reflected. It should be evident. It should be reflected in how we spend our time, in the things that we think about, in the way that we spend our money, in how we treat each other. It should be evident in our attitudes. It should be evident in our connection and our involvement with the family of God, the church. You see, if the Lord is at the center, then, then he will have an impact on every single aspect of our life. If the Lord's at the center, he's going to have that impact all over our lives. If we're centered on God, the Holy Spirit will be shaping us and transforming us constantly and continuously. It's just like Romans 12. Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual and true and proper worship. Do not conform. Don't conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you'll be able to know, to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You see, when we are centered on the Lord, the Holy Spirit is shaping us. The Holy Spirit is transforming us. A God-centered life doesn't take the shape of the world around us. It's a life that's being transformed by the, and shaped by the Holy Spirit. And the tabernacle right in the middle of their camp certainly emphasized that the presence of God and the priority that he was meant to be given. But it, it wasn't just the location of the tabernacle that had that significance. The tabernacle actually had a design, it had a blueprint that also reflected the glory of God. It, it had three distinct sections. Uh, first section was an outer courtyard. There was an outer courtyard with an open sky above it. It was 75 feet wide, 150 feet long, and it had one entry point that was always positioned towards the east. In the country, in the courtyard, there was an altar for burnt offerings and a bronze laver for purification. And then in the back of the courtyard was an enclosed tent that was divided into two rooms. Uh, the first room was an inner room called the holy place. And inside that room was a table of showbread, the golden lampstand, and an altar of incense. And then the second room in that enclosure, the final room in these three sections, was called the Holy of Holies, or it was often called the Most Holy Place. In this room was a box, a chest made with acacia wood and overlaid with gold. This box was called an ark. And inside of that box were the two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments etched onto them, the law, the covenant that God had made with them. Apparently, later on, um, 
a jar of manna, and Aaron's staff were also added to the ark. But initially, it was just this law, the covenant. And therefore, it was called the Ark of the Covenant. You may recognize this. It's most popular in our culture today because of a movie called Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. Um, That's what was in this room. The, The lid of this ark had two golden cherubim, two angels, with outstretched wings that touched in the, together in the middle of the lid. In Hebrew, the word that is used for this lid is a word that means to appease or to atone. In some English Bibles, they call it the mercy seat. Some call it the atonement cover. Either way, that was the place where God said that he would be. That mercy seat, that atonement cover, that's where God would be. In Exodus 25, verse 21 and 22, it says, Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark of the tablets of the covenant law that I give to you. There above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. That mercy seat is where God met with Moses. That's where God met with Moses. And then once a year, on a day that they called the Day of Atonement, a sacrifice was made on behalf of everyone. The high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies He would burn incense and he would sprinkle blood from the sacrifice onto that mercy seat, onto that atonement cover. It was an act of atonement for their sins. And here's what you need to recognize, that from the courtyard into the holy place, into the holy of holies, each section was more elaborate, more sacred, and more exclusive. Between the holy place and the Holy of Holies, there was a large, thick curtain that divided those two rooms. Only the high priest could enter into that most holy place, and he could only enter once a year on that Day of Atonement. The curtain and all of those elaborate rituals were constant reminders that God was holy and God was pure, God was exalted and God was majestic. God could not be approached carelessly or with casual irreverence. So the tabernacle was built and God moved in. In Exodus 40, verse 34 through 38 Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out. Until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night in the sight of all the Israelites during their travels. This tabernacle was used as God's people journeyed through the wilderness. But later on in history, King Solomon builds the temple. It was still patterned after the tabernacle. 
It was still designed after the tabernacle, but it was more permanent. And it was larger and more elaborate, a more larger and more elaborate version of the temple, or of the tabernacle. Between Solomon and the days of Jesus, that temple was destroyed and rebuilt once, and then dismantled and rebuilt once. When King Herod rebuilt the temple, it was yet even bigger and yet even more elaborate, but it was still patterned after the tabernacle. And everything about the tabernacle and everything about the temple pointed right towards Jesus. Everything about it pointed towards Jesus. And that's what makes it really important for us today. Without that, it would just be old ancient ritual. But it points towards Jesus, and that gives us all of the significance that we need to understand. Do you remember what the word tabernacle means? It's a place to settle down. It's a place to abide. It's a dwelling place. Let's look at the Gospel of John. John chapter 1, the very first verse. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John used that title, the Word, in reference to Jesus. So when John says, in the beginning was the Word, in the beginning was Jesus... And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. And then we read this in John 1.14. Remember what the word tabernacle means in John 1.14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father full of grace and truth. You hear that word? Dwelling. The tabernacle was a dwelling for God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, because of Jesus, we no longer need a sacred building or a religious ritual so that God can be with us. Because of Jesus, we don't need a sacred building, all this elaborate ritual for God to be with us. Jesus fulfills everything that the tabernacle was set up to show us about God. Do you remember between the holy place and the most holy place? Do you remember that curtain? It was called a veil. It separated the two rooms in the temple. The presence of God was on the mercy seat behind that veil in the most holy place. Do you remember what happened to that curtain when Jesus died? In Matthew 27, we read it. Matthew 27, verse 50 to 51. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Do you think that's a coincidence? Do you think there's any significance to that? That veil was a physical and a symbolic image of God's separation from us. We could not be with God because of that veil. We could not have God with us because of that veil. 
And the moment when Jesus died, it tore open from top to bottom. You see, when Jesus died, the old covenant, the temple, and that system of religious ritual, it was no longer necessary. We have the ability, we can come before God, we can come close to God through Jesus. We can come close to God through Jesus. We don't come through a veil anymore. We don't come through a high priest, a sacrifice. We come through Jesus. Because of Jesus, we can enter the most holy place. Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 23. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up to us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Hebrews is telling us that Jesus fulfills what the temple fulfilled. We, the curtain is, is through Christ. We come into that most holy place with all confidence because of faith through Jesus. When Jesus, when Jesus died... A literal temple was replaced with a spiritual one. In the New Testament, everything that the temple was is ultimately accomplished by Jesus. In the New Testament, we actually see the temple reflected in three different ways. Uh, D.A. Carson is a Bible scholar and a professor of the New Testament, and he explains it like this. He says that we see the temple in the New Testament in three ways, two big ones and one small one. The first one is Jesus himself is the ultimate temple. The second big one is the church of Jesus Christ is the temple. That is, it is the meeting place between God and sinners. This is where God speaks through his temple to the surrounding nations, being constituted as the church. The church comes, becomes the meeting place between God and sinners, and thus becomes a temple as well. And then, in one or two passages only, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that language is used further there. So the temple is seen in the New Testament in three different ways. Predominantly through Jesus, then also through the church, and then also individually we, the Holy Spirit, resides within us. Earlier, I asked you this question. What would you do if, if I said that God, if God said I'm moving in with you today? The truth is, that's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came. Jesus was given so that our sin could be atoned for and God could move into our lives. It's very personal, it's very intimate, and it's a very powerful thing. But God doesn't want, God doesn't accept a half-hearted acceptance. He deserves more than just the margins of your life. 
If He's going to be the Savior who saves you from your sin, He wants to be the Lord of your life, and that means He wants to be right in the middle. Just like the tabernacle sat in the middle of the camp, Jesus wants to be right in the middle of your life. In the book of Revelation, we have a picture of Jesus standing at a door and knocking. And he's calling out to a church that has become lukewarm. It's a church that has become complacent and content. It's a church that's just going through the motions. And in that, Jesus is asking the church to let him back in. But he also uses some very personal words. In Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Some very personal words. If anyone, then I will come in and eat with that person. He's calling out to a church to be let in, but he's also calling out to us personally. Jesus wants to be welcomed right into the middle of your life. He went to the cross and his body was torn so that the veil would be torn. The barrier between you and God was gone because Jesus paid for your sin with his life. And here's what sometimes happens. The veil comes down, the veil is torn, that separation is no more, but we take and we put up a door. We take and we put up a door and it's closed. We replace the veil with a closed door. Will you open the door? Will you open your life and let him in? If you've never done that, if you've never done, if you've never invited Jesus to be right in the middle of your life, to accept him as Lord and Savior, then I would, I would plead and encourage you to consider making that decision. If you have done that, I would challenge you to check the relationship. You see, the Old Testament tabernacle was all about ritual and routine. But Jesus invites us into something more. He wants a personal and living relationship with you. He wants to be included. He wants to be the priority. Because he knows you better than you know yourself. And he loves you. And he wants to be welcome into your life. Will you let him lead your life? Will you let him be close? Will you let him dwell right in the middle of your life. Thanks for listening. Please take a moment to rate this podcast. May the word of God be living and active in your life.